Rica, a, a missions trip. Uh, him and Lisa went and ministered to uh, pastors and church leaders in Costa Rica. After this service, those that are going on our Mexico missions team, uh, there's a, a short meeting uh, right after the service. So you, know, you want to stick around and be sure to be a part of it. I appreciate Pastor David uh, praying for our missionaries around the world that are, 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 have complex issues that they're dealing with. And doesn't this VBS decor just look great all over the church? Uh, it? it looks awesome, doesn't it? It's going to be a great week. Uh, Pastor Hannah, uh, Connie Walker, the team has just done a just a fantastic job. Really excited about all that's going to um, happen this week. And uh, one and and let me just uh, add to what Pastor David just talked about about the fireworks. It was so cool because I we told all of our neighbors about uh, about the fireworks and we invited them all, gave them the flyer. And so our neighbors, almost all, almost everybody on our street. Uh, came down to the fireworks stand to buy their fireworks. And so it was this interesting feeling as I'm sitting at the edge of our front street, the end of the driveway, watching all these fireworks go off down our street, and I'm hearing dollar signs as they're all exploding, <laughs> thinking, these are our kids going to camp. These are, this is missions is going to happen. This is helping kids back to school at Cherokee. It was, it was awesome. I realized, I was like, hey, good job. Just encourage them, blow up as many as you can. Because it was awesome. So thank you guys, everybody that really helped. It was a lot of hard work. And thank you, thank you to everybody who served uh, to, make, to make that possible. Really appreciate it. Uh, this morning we are continuing our series. I'm on the Holy Spirit. If I were going to introduce you to a friend of mine, uh, I would begin to tell you a little bit about that person. I would begin to tell you um, uh, what makes that person unique. I would begin to describe that person, what that person's like. Um, and what they do. And so that's what I've been trying to do with this series on the Holy Spirit. We started by talking about, about who He is, how He's our comforter, He's our friend, He's our helper, He's our God. Um, last week we talked about um, what He's like. We talked about how He has a mind. He's a person. He has a mind. He's, the, he, he's God. He has, a, he, has a, he has a mind. He has a will. He has feelings. And this, this, today, this week, we're going to talk some about what He does. And so the title of this morning uh, the, t- the sermon title this morning is, Is He Pentecostal? Okay? I think that's appropriate. Is He Pentecostal? It's a good question because we know John was Baptist, right? Is that true? John was Baptist. Jesus was a Nazarene. So maybe the Holy Spirit's Pentecostal. We're going to ask some questions, but we have to ask some questions to, to find out. You know, I often, often get asked the question, Is, is grace is, is Grace Church, are we Pentecostal? And when I hear that question, I'll be honest with you, I kind of cringe. I do, and I kind of like, I kind of do this on the inside. Hopefully I don't on the outside, but on the inside I kind of go like this. And this is why. Because I don't know what definition of Pentecostal that person has in mind. I don't know what their thing, I don't know what frame of reference, I don't know what experience they've had. And so when somebody asks me, hey, is your church Pentecostal? I respond by asking them a question. I mean, that's what Jesus did, right? They asked Jesus a question. He responded with the question, right? So they ask, they ask, are we Pentecostal? I say, well, what do you think of when you think of Pentecostal? What does Pentecostal mean to you? And that lets me know how to answer. Because if they give me an answer that's cultural, then like, for example, if they begin to talk about women, women only wearing dresses and no pants, if they begin to talk about no makeup, you can talk about hair that's in a bun that, you know, the higher it goes, the closer they are to Jesus, you know, and, and, and I'm not trying to make fun. I mean, I'm I really not. Um, but they start talking about legalism, and I'm like, no, no, we're not. We're not that. But 
if the response is, if they start talking about a biblical understanding of Pentecost, not Pentecostalism, but, but Pentecost, we're going to talk about the fulfillment of the Feast of Pentecost, begin talking about the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit that are alive and active in the church today, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that He's working, He's alive among His people, that the Holy Spirit is at work, that He wants to speak to people today, that this book is, is the, word of the, the Word of the Lord and the Holy Spirit in us is the coach. Uh, he's, he's God who's able to make this Word come alive and, and reveal it and illuminate it to our hearts and explain it to it and teach it to us, that He's able to speak to us and lead to us, lead us, that he, His miracles are for today, healing is for today, the gifts of the Spirit, that, that Jesus is still the same. Now, if that's the definition, I'm like, yeah, 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 that's who we are. That's who we are. But to explain this, to talk about this, I think we have to I think we have to ask some questions. And so this morning, the sermon is a series of three questions. And so I'm going to answer these questions today. The first question is, what is Pentecost? What is Pentecost? We turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter two. You knew I was going to end up there, right? You, you knew it. I was going to have to, right? You have to you have to start here in Acts chapter two. So Acts Acts chapter two, verses one through four, says this. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, so maybe make a little mark there, a little note there, but, but we're going to come back to that. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So that very first part of verse 1 says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. To understand this text, uh, to understand what the Lord is doing here, to even understand what that means, we need to take a moment and we need to look at the three major feasts in Judaism, when the whole nation, everybody would come and would worship in Jerusalem. They would all celebrate this. Uh, there are three, three major feasts, the Feast of Passover, of Pentecost, and of Tabernacles. As a part of, uh, and we'll talk about these in more in, 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 just, in, in just a little bit, but as a part of Passover, there is a, a Feast of Unleavened Bread and First Fruits as well, and in Tabernacles, there's also the Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and and tabernacles, or some would refer to it as booths. And as we talk about these three major, so there's the, there's the three in the, at the beginning with Passover, and then there's Pentecost, and then there's the three with, the, uh, with tabernacles at the, later in the year. Um, as, we, as we talk about these, we have to understand the three major feasts of Passover, Pentecost, and tabernacles to understand the text of what's going on here. Okay, so Passover, we are... We're pretty familiar with Passover, probably more than any of them. Um, it refers back to in the book of Exodus, if you remember when the children of Israel were in bondage in Egypt, and, and the Lord was setting them free, and he, uh, the plagues were coming, and we know the, 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 the tenth plague was going to be the death of the firstborn in, in every family, and we know that the Lord provided a way for, that to be, for them to be passed over, that there was a, they had to pick a spotless, blameless lamb, and they killed the lamb, and they took some of the blood of the lamb, and they applied it on the doorpost. And Exodus tells us that when the Lord came, and he would see the blood, that the destroyer would pass over and would not come into that home. And so, and so it was a picture, it was a prophetic picture, a symbol 
of Jesus, who is our lamb, our Passover lamb. And, and when feasts are celebrated, uh, there is a present celebration of what the Lord's doing right now at this moment, whatever year it might be, of what he's doing in their life. But then there's the look back of what the origination of it was, which was Passover, was that time in the book of Exodus. But then there's the prophetic looking forward of the fulfillment of that. And so the fulfillment of the Passover feast is Jesus. He is the spotless lamb who, was, who died for us, who shed his blood for us. Okay? Makes sense? Are you guys, you guys with me? And so that's what, that's what Passover is. And so here we've come to Pentecost, and we'll talk about that in Tabernacles in just a moment. But let's talk about Pentecost for just a moment. What is, what is, the word Pentecost um, actually, actually means something. The word penta uh, is the word means five. Uh, you've, you know we have the Pentagon um, in Virginia right outside of D.C. It's a five-sided building. So, um, what does it mean? Pentecost. Penta means means five, and cost in in the Greek would mean to the tenth power. So it means fifty, or it means fiftieth. That's what it means. But it's interesting because there's such a negative connotation with the word Pentecost, right? Can we can we be honest and say that that there's a negative connotation with the word Pentecost? But so you hear the word Pentecost. But let me let me let me share this word with you. Fifty. Can you say 50? Is that scary? Not unless it's your birthdays, right? Unless it's number of birthdays, then you know. I'm just going to keep going. <laughs> just, keep, just keep moving, Jay. So why are we scared of that word? But we, there is, there's like this fear. that The enemy has tried to cause fear in regard to the word Pentecost. It simply means 50 days after Passover. And so if you look at Scripture, if you look at that well, you'd say, well, Pentecost, it wasn't 50 days after Passover, because Passover could happen, you know, any, any day of the week, but it was 50 days after the resurrection. Well, the Lord knew this. He, he had all of this planned from the very beginning. And in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 15 through 16, it says this. It says, and you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath. So the counting begins the day after Sabbath, which would be Saturday. The day after Sabbath, from the day that you were brought, that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. So there's seven Sabbaths, and then it's the next day. And then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. The Lord knew that. He had it planned the whole time of when, of, of when his, his son, Jesus, would come, would die on the cross on, on, on Passover, and when he would be resurrected, and then when Pentecost would come 50 days later. So that's what, that's what Pentecost means. So when you hear the word Pentecost, it's a feast. It means 50th. It's 50 days after. And and that, that, that's what it means. Well, what happened at Pentecost? Okay, we're going to answer this, the second question now. What happened at Pentecost? Uh, let's, let's go to verse 5. Acts chapter 2, verse 5. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation. Can you say every nation? Every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the sound we just read about, this sound is a mighty rushing wind. When the sound occurred, the multitude came together. People gathered. Okay, it attracted a crowd. And they were confused. They're like, what is going on? What is happening here? Because every one of them, everyone heard them speak in their own language. Every nation was there. Every nation represented. They heard their own language. They're confused. And they're like, What's going on? What's happening? They're speaking our language. They're speaking this. And, and, and 
and I want to take a little side road here. I want to take a diversion because this is what I believe is like the opposite of Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. In the Tower of Babel, there was one nation, there was one language, but the people had come together in pride and, and in and, uh, working against the Lord, and the Lord came and confused them, and He scattered them. But here in Pentecost, we see the 120 gathered in submission and in humility, and, and the Lord brought them together, and He restored a pure language. I heard one commentator say that, that Pentecost is the blessed reversal of the curse of Babel. And so here we begin to see a picture of what heaven is going to be like, because it says here, every nation under heaven, every ethnic group, this, this word here, every nation, the Greek word is ethnos or ethnicity. Every ethnicity was praising, the, they were hearing this. And that's, we know in Revelation, we know that the, the book of, the Revela, of Revelation tells us that, that we'll heal every tribe, every nation, every ethnos, every people worshiping the Lord. That is, oh, that's beautiful, that is, that is heaven. Now, this is, this is what it's all about. And I, I'm going to share something with you guys I didn't originally plan on sharing but in light of what's given, what's happened in our nation this week, I'm, I'm going to share. I'm going to take a, another little rabbit trail. I want to share. I want to share something with you. It's significant that different ethnicities are brought together here at Pentecost. That, that's very significant. The people here were scattered. They weren't together. We see all through the Book of Acts that when the Holy Spirit begins to move and to work among people, He begins to bring people of different ethnicities, different ethnos together. And, there's, and they, they begin to work together. You see this reconciliation happen. You see, in fact, even the prophecy goes, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. And, and, and we know that, that as the spirit of God came, that the distinctions between man, woman, um, social standing, um, ethnicities, they, 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 they're, they're not recognized in the kingdom of God that we are people before him. And that's, that's, what, that's what is looked at, that, that these these differentiators is not what is important, that we have equal standing. And, and, and this is important because we even look through history that when the Spirit of God begins to move, that He moves among ethnically diverse and He begins to bring healing and He begins to bring cooperation. He begins to cause the church to look like what we will look like in heaven, okay? And in fact, and I've talked about this before, maybe you remember it, but over a hundred years ago, there was a move of God, there was a revival called the Azusa Street Revival. And it, and it, it started in Kansas, and, and there are different people in the Midwest who are involved, but it really became famous. It really got some traction in, Azusa, in, in California on Azusa Street near L.A. And, and as this began to move, the Holy Spirit was poured out. It was Some referred to it like a modern-day Pentecost, that the things of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit were reintroduced to the church, that a great revival happened. And one of the characteristics, one of the markers of this move of the Spirit was that women began to be able to minister and they weren't sidelined like they had been sidelined before. And churches that, that were segregated, that when the Spirit of God began to move, that, that, that white, that African American, that Hispanic, Japanese, Filipino, different people began to worship together. And it was beautiful. And you hear accounts of rich and poor and so much diversity. Everybody was together worshiping. There was a Spirit of God that was moving. And it, and it began to spread across this nation. It began to spread across the world. Many of the denominations are, are in existence today because of that. But what happened is, is that 
is that the devil knew the power that was there because of what happened in the early church. We see it in Acts 2 where they're filled with the Spirit and the world is turned upside down. And so he began to immediately begin to work to throw a, a monkey wrench, so to speak, into that situation and to mess it up. Okay, and the way the enemy did that, the Zuzus Street Revival, was by, was by racial division. That's how it happened. In fact, the, one of the major reasons that there's um, African-American churches today or white churches today, especially those that would call themselves Pentecostals, because of division that was brought in at this very moment. That's how the enemy slowed this down. In fact, the, 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 really the founder, the mover of the Azusa Street Revival, his name was William Seymour, his African-American man. And this is what he said. He said, the initial evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit is not tongues. He said, it's racial reconciliation. That's a sign of the Spirit moving and working. And I believe that's what our nation needs. I believe our nation needs a fresh move of the Spirit of God. Because as we become filled with the Spirit of God, how can we not see other people as God sees them? How can we not treat other people as God would want them to be treated? And so the answer is a fresh move of the Spirit of God and us individually in our church, in our city, and in our nation. Would you guys agree? Amen. 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 And so that's, I think that's a beautiful picture. And so as we talk about the fulfillment of Pentecost, as we talk about the original giving of a feast, uh, uh, um, whatever present might be, wherever a person might be in time, and then the future realization, as we look at this Pentecost, we look at what it, what it symboled, what it marked, was the giving of the law. Okay, when Moses received the law of the Lord. And so as we look back at that, there's some indicators of the giving of the law. Uh, we can see that if we were to take time in the Bible, that there was fire that was, that was displayed. The law was given. It was written in stone. There was a loud noise. There was the cloud that descended. The law was written on tablets of stone, and 3,000 died that day. When Pentecost comes in Acts chapter 2, there's noise. There's the noise of the wind, of a mighty rushing wind. We know that there's fire. We know the Spirit, the cloud descended among the people. But we know that the Holy Spirit wrote the law of God on the hearts of man, not on stone. And that day, 3,000 were saved. That is the fulfillment of Pentecost. That's what, that's what happened. Because God gave them the law in the Old Testament, but they couldn't keep it. In fact, why God was giving Moses the law, the people of God were down at the base of the mountain breaking the law. They, they could never keep it from the beginning. So that's why Jesus came to fulfill the law, to make us righteous and just. And that's how we are made right before God. But then the power of the Spirit comes in our life, the Holy Spirit. And that's what gives us the power to live this righteous life with Christ Jesus. And so we need the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Amen? We need His power in our lives. So what is Pentecost? What happened at Pentecost? And can I experience Pentecost? This is the last question we're going to answer this morning. And it's a, it's a valid question. It's a good question. Can I experience this? Can you experience this? Can we experience this as our church? Was it, was it just for then? Or is it from now as well? Well, let's go back to Acts chapter 2, verse 2. It says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind. And so here Luke is writing a letter to uh, Theophilus. He's writing this account of the ministry of Jesus. He's, he's given an account of what's happened in the lives of the early uh, disciples, the first disciples. And he's trying to describe what occurred. And he said it's like a mighty rushing wind, which we know is, a, is an indicator, is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Uh, even in Genesis where, where God breathed, <gasps> 
into Adam and life was formed. And where we have the prophetic aspect in Ezekiel where there was a valley of dried bones and, and the breath of God came that, that this is a sign, it's a, a sign of the Spirit of God. And it said, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now, again, I'm going to take a rabbit trail, okay? Um, and I want to share something with you guys, okay? This, I, I'm not saying this is a... How do we do this? There's some things when you preach, you can say, thus saith the Lord. It's very clear in Scripture. And then there's other times where you can give observation. And you could say, well, this is what historically maybe could have been a part of, uh, of, of this story, what could have happened. So I'm not, saying, I'm not saying this is factual. I'm saying this is what maybe some archaeological and historical cultural evidence might go to show. If you turn back in your Bibles to, to, um, to Acts chapter 1, um, let's see if I can find, uh, find the verse. It says that they were, here we go, verse 12. And it says, they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olives and is near Jerusalem. When they had entered, they went into the upper room where they were staying. And it talks about the process they went through of casting lots, getting a new disciple. And, and it, anyway, it continues, continues that story. Well, beginning of chapter 2, it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And then verse 2 says, and with the mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now, most of the time when we read that, it's read that when they're in the house, they're still in that upper room, that that's where, that's where they were gathered. And that's how I've heard it taught my whole life. I don't have a problem with that. I think it's great. So fantastic. But something that was kind of interesting is that when I was in Israel in January, we had a a, a Bible scholar with us who's an expert in Jerusalem and in Israel. And he, he, he gave a perspective that I'd never heard before, and I found it very interesting. So I just want to share it real quickly with you. Um, his perspective was that it could be, again, I'm not saying it is, but it could be that where they're gathered at this point where Pentecost happens is maybe they weren't gathered in the upper room where it says in chapter 1. Maybe they were gathered on the steps of the temple. And, and this is why. First of all, the steps are really big. They're, the steps are not quite, but almost, maybe almost as big as this platform. And there's a large series of them. Think of like the Capitol building, monuments in D.C., these huge marble steps. So think, they're not like these steps, right? I mean, think big, think grand, and they're very, very long, huge, huge, huge. So thousands of people could be going into the temple at, at one time. And, and it would make sense because here they are, all of, all of Israel is gathered here at the temple for Pentecost, to worship, worship the Lord. And this word here, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. That word house there is a very generic word in, the, in, in Greek. Um, it can mean, it basically mean three things. It can mean a house, like the house you live in. It also could mean like a lineage, like the house of David, same word. It also is referred to several places. One of them is Matthew twelve four, referred to as the house of the Lord. It's all referred to as the, same, as the same way. And so what this scholar said is he said, he said it could be because we know they gathered at the temple, right? And it would make sense they would be there at Pentecost because they're there celebrating this feast that it could have been that the 120 of them were there sitting on the steps worshiping the Lord in prayer like they did. They had a habit of doing that, of gathering there. That when, when the Spirit of God came at Pentecost, it filled the whole house. It filled the temple of God. It, the Spirit of God was there, and it manifested through this wind. It manifested with fire, uh, what looked like fire, on these disciples. And they began to speak in other tongues. And, 
and, and everybody heard them, and it got their attention. They're like, what is going on? And all these people from all the world heard their, heard their own language, and they're talking, how could, this, how could this be? How could this happen? Maybe they're drunk, because drinking at 9 a.m. helps you learn languages you've never known before, right? I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, uh-huh, sure. And so it could have been that it was in a very public place that this happened, and we often think of them sequestered in an upper room, and People are hearing it spilling out into the streets through the windows, and then he preaches from the window. As I talk about a little bit, Peter, maybe Peter simply stood on the steps and preached, and 3,000 right there in the front of the temple on the day of Pentecost were saved. And then it says they were baptized, which logistically could have very easily happened because right next to the temple were these huge ceremonial baths where you would walk down into them, be baptized, and then walk right out. And you could efficiently baptize 3,000 pretty quickly that day did it happen we weren't there all we know they were gathered in one place in unity and the spirit of god came. that's what's important but i thought you would find the other as fascinating as as, as i did and so here we know that that verse four and they were filled with the holy spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance the word tongues here means the greek word is glossa it means language we get the word glossary from it so can you say the word languages can you say the word 50? Those aren't scary words, are they? But we hear the word Pentecost. We hear the word tongues, and we like freak out, right? Oh, they're crazy people over there. They are. They're crazy, I tell you. But it's not. It just means languages. It just means 50. It's not mysterious. It's not mystical. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid to read the Bible. We don't have to be afraid of what's in here. The Holy Spirit will teach us. He will lead us. And, and so I find this so awesome. I find this so awesome. If you go back to verse, verse 3, and then appeared to them divided tongues. This word, if you think of the word divided, divide, it's so similar to the word individual. It comes from the same D-I-V-I-D, individual, divide. It comes from, the, when we think of the word divide, we think also, you know, often of negative connotation. But the Spirit came and then it divided. It means like, Okay, it's like getting a big pizza, right? And you cut it into pieces. You're able to spread. So the Holy Spirit came, and then individually they were filled, and, 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 and this, this fire set on each of them. Each and all of them. Can you say each? Can you say all? Everyone. It wasn't the leaders, just the leaders. It wasn't the priest in the temple. It was each and every one of them. The Holy Spirit was, was given for all flesh. Man, woman, didn't, didn't matter. It was poured out on all flesh. Given each to them. And I wonder, you know, I think it's okay when you read the Bible to use your imagination a little and try to put yourself in that, you know, what would it have been like if I was there? What would it have happened? And I, I think, what would it have been like to be in the upper room and to see fire coming and, and to be spreading and to be on individuals and and you, you, they could have seen it, right? So they could have seen the, what appeared as fire above each. But I wonder if they could have seen their own, right? I don't know if they could see. I mean, you'd be like, is, is it there? I don't, I don't know. But we know they could see it. We know it was manifest. And I think this speaks to us as, as that we can... Sometimes it's easier to identify the Holy Spirit working in somebody else's life even than it is our own. And we want to deny our own experiences. Or we want to discount our own and, and it requires faith. It requires faith that He is poured out, that He is available for every 
everyone. And you receive Him by faith. By faith. In fact, so can I experience Him? That's the question. Can you, can I, can we experience Pentecost? Can we experience this today? So look at verse 4. Acts 1. Go back to Acts 1. And you can flip the page on your Bible or scroll up a little bit on your screen. And go to Acts chapter 1 verse 4. This is... Jesus is here with them. He's explaining to them. He's giving his final instructions. And being assembled together with them, he, speaking of Jesus, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise. Can you say promise? Wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Say Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. So who's the promise? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the promise. And it happened. He was poured out. And it's like I mentioned earlier, all these different people from different ethnic backgrounds, they heard this, they, they were amazed. They're like, How does this happen? Peter stands up and he preaches, preaches one of the best sermons in the history of mankind, impromptu. He didn't have time to write it. He didn't have time to prepare for it. He just stood up and under the power of the Holy Spirit, a guy who maybe... 53 days earlier, is, is hiding, is denying Christ, is, 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 is a man of, of he's, he's a fear, he's hiding, and now 53 days later, he's full of the Spirit of God, he stands up and boldly proclaims one of the best sermons ever that has the complete full gospel, everything in it, he explains Christ in the Old Testament, he gives clear instruction to the gospel, to salvation, and men and women's hearts are gripped, and they say, what must we do, how do we get in on this? What God is doing is for real. How do we, how do we, how do we get in on this? How, what, must we, what must we do to be saved? Chapter 238, Peter says to them, repent, repent. He's saying, turn your life over to Jesus. Turn the direction. That's what John had, had preached. Turn, turn and, and follow Christ. Repent and let every one of you be baptized. Here he's speaking of water baptism. Baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise. Who's the promise? The Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off. Now, would you guys say we're far off? We're far off, aren't we? We're a couple thousand years later in another part of the world. And all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Has the Lord called you? Has He spoken your name? Has He called you? If you're called to the Lord, if you've responded to Him, the Holy Spirit has promised to you. To you. Are you seeing this? Are you getting it? So let me go back. I'm, I'm wrapping this up. Let me go back and go over these feasts for just a moment and compare the three feasts because it's significant. It helps us understand whether we can experience Pentecost ourselves. So let's talk about Passover again just for a moment. So Passover, we know that Jesus fulfilled Passover. He is the spotless lamb. Um, it's, it's, it's safe to say, historians would tell us that, that he went to the cross at, at about 9 o'clock in the morning. And at the same time that he went to the cross, lambs would have been being slaughtered. And that he was taken off the cross at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, which is the same time these Passover lambs would have been put in the oven. Jesus was placed in the tomb. He is our Passover lamb. He was the spotless lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And we know that the day after the, day after the Sabbath, 
that the head of the house, the man of the house, would have taken uh, unleavened bread and he would have taken, he would have waved it to the Lord as a sign of first fruits. And we know that Jesus rose from the dead the morning after the Sabbath as a sign of first fruits of rising from the dead. This is significant, friends. It's significant. Do you guys agree that Jesus is our Passover lamb? Do you guys believe that? Okay. Well, let me ask you this. Were you alive when it happened? I know it's not a trick question. Were you alive when that happened? How do you get in on it? By faith, right? That what he did is not what Jesus did is not limited to time or space. It transcends all of that. And by faith, he is our Passover lamb. Agreed? Agreed? Okay. Let's talk about the the Feast of Tabernacles. It's the feast that's not yet fulfilled. We know it'll be fulfilled. The Feast of Trumpets will be fulfilled when the trumpet sounds, right? When Jesus comes again, the trumpet sounds. He is our atonement. He, he, He covers us. The Feast of Tabernacles, we will tabernacle. We will dwell. We will be with Him forever. We will participate in the Feast of Tabernacles and trumpets when He comes again. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Okay, what if you're not around? What if you've already died? Does that mean you're excluded from that feast? No. In fact, the Bible says the dead in Christ rise first. So you're dead. You get in on it first. Okay, do you guys see where I'm going on this? If you weren't here, you weren't around for Passover, is it still, can you still have it? In Jesus? Yeah. You're not there for the fee, for the. Uh, the tabernacles, feast of trumpet. You're not there when the trumpet blows. You're already dead. You're buried. You're gone. But yet, how do we access it? By faith. We access it by faith that we participate. And when the trumpet sounds, bam, the dead in Christ rise first. We're resurrected. You guys believe that? Okay, if that's true for the feast of Passover, if that's true for the feast of trumpets, tabernacles, well, what about the feast of Pentecost? What about that? What if we weren't alive at the feast of Pentecost? Can we still experience it? The answer is yes. Just as we can experience Passover, just as we can experience Trumpets Tabernacles, we can experience Pentecost. How? By faith. By faith. That what he said is true. His Spirit was poured out on all flesh. We have salvation through Jesus, our Passover Lamb. We know we'll have resurrection when the trump sounds. And we know that His Spirit has been given to all flesh. He came at Pentecost. And what happens is, and maybe you've been taught this, maybe you've been taught that that's not for today. That that, is, that was restricted to the time of the apostles in the New Testament. That when the apostle John died, that that was it. It was over. That those gifts stopped manifesting. That infilling the Holy Spirit, like we see in Acts, stopped happening. It didn't happen anymore. That the gifts stopped. That miracles stopped. That, that this word right here is enough. This is it. There didn't need to be anything else. This is closed. It's done. And there's, a, there's an aspect of that that's absolutely... This is... The word is the word of the Lord. Okay? It is the word of the Lord. 
But the Holy Spirit comes to reveal it to it, to make it come alive. And, I, and Acts isn't over. I mean, the writing of it is over, but the Holy Spirit is still working among His church today. When the Holy Spirit came upon the earth, He's still here. He's still residing. He's still available to His people. Now, when we put our faith in Jesus to be saved, we receive the Holy Spirit. That's how we're saved. But there's a fullness of the Spirit. There's an experience of the Spirit as a Pentecost that's available to who? To everyone. To all. And it's available to all. And it's not just for 2,000 years ago. But it's available still today. And we know that because of the Feast of Passover, of Tabernacles, and of the Feast of Pentecost. Does that make sense? Does that help help any of you understand? Would you stand with me? Worship team, would you guys, those of you here, would you come up? I want to lead you in a, in a prayer this morning. This prayer is going to be, you can pray it your own way. But prayer is going to be something like this. I want, to, I want to give you an opportunity to invite the Holy Spirit to come into your life in a very real and very fresh way. And I want to encourage you to not hold yourself back from the Lord, but to really open up your heart and to say, I want, Lord, I want all that you have for me. I want everything. I don't want to hide any area of my life from the Holy Spirit. I want Him to fully reside completely in me. I want to be filled with the Spirit. I want to be baptized in Him. I want, it, I want all that's available to me. If, if you want in on this, you want, you want to pray this, would you just lift your hands of receptivity to the Lord? And just pray something like this. You pray in your words. Say, say, Jesus, would you pour out your Spirit upon me? And new and afresh. Holy Spirit, I open myself to You. I receive You. Will You fill me? Baptize me? Consume me? Be real to me? Make Yourself real to me? Oh, Lord. Let's sing this together as just a worship of the Lord, a worship to Him of opening ourselves up to the Lord this morning.